Hi, my name is Chanel Otley Allen, and you're listening to Caribbean Boot Stories. Welcome. There's never been a podcast that focuses on Caribbean women from all walks of life, narrating their journey of giving birth, navigating self-care postpartum, and parenting across our beautiful region. Now there is. Caribbean Boot Stories is committed to providing a space for honest, non-judgmental conversations, fostering a supportive community of listeners, inspired to share and act on the resources born out of every episode. Do enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We know that endometriosis is a condition where tissue similar to the tissue that lines the uterus grows outside of the uterus. Most often, this occurs on other reproductive organs, such as ovaries and fallopian tubes, but it can happen in other areas of the pelvic cavity as well as outside of the pelvic cavity. The most common and notable symptom is pelvic pain. Yet endometriosis is a very difficult disorder to diagnose. My guest today calls herself an endowarrior. Hailing from the beautiful Twin Island Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, meet Renee Blenman. There is a myth that endometriosis prevents or makes getting pregnant more difficult. However, an estimated 70% of women with mild to moderate endo will become pregnant without treatment. Listen to hear which percentage Renee falls into. So hi, Renee. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thanks. Yes. Well, thank you for accepting the invitation to be on okay. Caribbean Boot Stories, the podcast. It was important for me to have you or to ask you because, as we know, pregnancy, I think because it's so commonplace, people take right. it for granted that there are challenges sometimes in getting pregnant and that road towards pregnancy isn't always the smoothest road. So I would love if you could share with us your, your journey, your road map towards motherhood. Right. Okay. Well, I was diagnosed with endometriosis um, in 2014, right? I did not, I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I had a, I used to get pain, all this crazy cramps and whatnot, and it would be so bad that I would show up every time mm-hmm. I got my period. Yeah. Yes. Till I will show up till I have nothing else to show up. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll be so sick. I had to stay home from work certain days. And when I went, I ended up joining the clinic, and. They found that and this is, a, this is a clinic in a local hospital for yes, those that are listening. At Mount okay. Hope Women's Clinic. Okay. Um, they found a cyst. It was an endometrioma. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was the size of a, an orange, about the size of an orange. So that's where all the pain was coming from. And mm-hmm. I was supposed to have a cystectomy. Mm-hmm. So that would have been my first surgery. And when I woke up from that surgery, they told me they were unable to remove the cyst. They mm-hmm. just drained it because everything inside it was tied, tied up. Everything inside it was just covered in endometriosis. So that's, that's the first time I ever heard that too. Right. And uh, he, he told me, well, everything inside it was so... So you had a lot of adhesions. Adhesions, yes. yes. A lot of so adhesions. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't get to remove it. They just drained it. 
and he closed me up and that's where my diagnosis came in. So that was 2014. So then how did you react when you heard this? How did you feel? That was, it was confusing for me because this is me on the hospital bed expecting to hear, okay, everything is fine, remove the cyst. And he's like, but we couldn't do it. And if you, and one more thing, you would not be able to get pregnant unless his exact words were, you will have to have test you babies. So I am sitting there like, what? What do you mean test you babies? Mm -hmm. And then um, a a junior doctor came back and he, he kind of explained it a little better that you'll have to do IVF and whatnot because everything inside there is so tied up and sealed together. Like my mm-hmm. bowels were connected to my uterus, my bladder, everything was just like all in one. Right. And I was, um, I, was I didn't really pay much attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like I was, take a, I take, I'll study the pain, right? The pain and whatnot. But I really didn't think about that cyst or anything after that. Okay. Um, I eventually came across the Trinidad Tobago Endometriosis Association on right. Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got all the information, like from reading from them, going on the website. Yes. And yeah, and volunteering with them. That's where I got a little more knowledge and got to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then exactly a year after my first surgery, the pain just came back crazy, crazy pain. It was mm-hmm. done before. Right. And I had to go back to the clinic. And that doctor that I saw, she was like, okay, we're going to do everything. We're going we're gonna re- to do the surgery to remove the endometriosis. And we're going to have to do a... She was like, I told her I wanted to have a baby because in my mind, I just hear it, test you baby. Yes. So IVF, expensive, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, How am I going to do this? Yes. So she said, okay, we're going to do an HSG, which is um, a dye test where they put the dye into your uterus and they mm-hmm. run an x-ray to see mm-hmm. if your tubes are blocked. So right. that way they can tell if you can actually get pregnant or if you will have to actually do IVF. Yeah. So I will have to say I'm very lucky because when I did that HSG, my right side was completely blocked. Wow. And the left side had this huge cyst. The cyst came back mm. and my uh, I had a hydrosalpins on the left side, which is that the, the tube was contorted. It was, right. it was, it was smooth. Yeah, it was twisted up and down, right. up and down. Right. Mm-hmm. So in that, she decided that we're going to do the surgery immediately. I did the surgery within a month of that at Mount Hope as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they removed the, they had to remove the entire left ovary and tube. Right. So you lost one fallopian tube. And the and other side was blocked. The right side was blocked. So, right. so after she said she tried her best, she cleared as much of the tissue as possible. So they freed up everything that my bowels were not so attached to my uterus yes. and my bladder anymore. So I, I really honestly went into a depression. Yes. I was depressed because this is my mind, I have one tube, it is blocked. If I do decide I want to have a baby, I need to do IVF. This is saving money and all of that. So I I was depressed. I will admit I was very depressed. Um, and tell me a little about the actual recovery from that second surgery. How did it um, go? 
the recovery from the surgery was um pretty quick faster than they expected because okay. I have this thing where I I will myself to go further than I expect to I push myself so if they say you need to get up and walk in order to go home mm-hmm. so much uh, I was in so much pain but I got up and I straightened up myself because remember you're being so much pain conscious yes. mm-hmm. I straightened up myself and I walked from the bed to the washroom back they said you need to walk a certain amount I made sure I walk a certain amount and I was home I went home the day after the surgery Okay. The, surgery, went. the recovery time, they said six weeks, but in about four weeks, I was fine. Okay. Um, I was, the pain wasn't as, wasn't as much. Did I you get any fine. exercises or anything advice as to what you can do to help with your recovery? No, I did not. They didn't give me anything. Um, Only when I came home and I was talking to my aunt, she mentioned that I should have had, I was supposed to have physical therapy mm-hmm. and they were supposed to show me exercises to do that. Well, I researched it and did it on my own, like little, little leg raises and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that, that was basically it. That's the only thing I did. I tried not to do anything that engaged my core because right. I wanted to recover completely. Then when I went back to clinic after the surgery, they put me on Zoladex. Mm-hmm. Zoladex chose you into menopause. Right. After one month of Zoladex, I was I told doctor I do not want that again. I was having suicidal thoughts. Okay. I was very depressed, mood swings like crazy. Mm-hmm. So as I told him, I don't want to go back on that Zolodex. Um, they put me on Novinet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was on Novinet. Yes, I was on Novinet. They said, well, it's not as effective, but in my mind, it's just it's just good control. It really doesn't do anything for endometriosis, right? right. Mm-hmm. So I, I took the Novinet. And then they told me, okay, well, within a year of your surgery, if you want to try to get pregnant, it's okay. But remember that your right tube is blocked. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna so we're thinking you're gonna need to have IVF. Okay, right. And I said to that doctor, I said, you know what? My next clinic appointment is in six months. When six months when I come back, I am going to be pregnant. And he laughed. And in six months when they came and they when I went back to clinic. I was pregnant, right? Oh, good job. Yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, that was a complicated pregnancy. I lost that baby. Did not go past six weeks. Okay. Six weeks. But um, yeah, that was very difficult for me. I got depressed oh. again because yeah. I was like, this is my one chance. This was my last chance. And yeah. just goes to my mind. Now, during that period after Luz having this unfortunate miscarriage, did you get help or support from anybody anywhere to manage that loss and the grief? Okay, my support came from home, right? Yeah. My family and my boyfriend mm-hmm. were very, very supportive. The hospital, no, no, no. The day I went to the hospital and I told the doctor that I think I'm miscarrying. The the nurses actually were like, people just miscarry all the time. That was, I sat down in that hospital and I cried, not because I was miscarrying, but because these people were not 
understand. Care, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, they were not compassionate at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I cannot give up on the idea of getting pregnant. Right. I told myself, okay, well, later on in life, I am going to save my money, I'm going to do the IVF. Um, I did not go back on, I did not take the birth control again. Because okay. to me, I can't get pregnant, right? Right. So I did not, no point. I did not, yeah, no point in taking birth control, right? So eventually, a year after that, I found out I was pregnant. It was strangest thing. I had a little dream about mm-hmm. a little baby girl, and oh. I felt feeling weird. Right. Um, it doesn't feel like the last time I was pregnant. Excited, but afraid to allow myself to be excited. Of course. Of having mm-hmm. another year. So mm-hmm. that was that was it. And now I have my little my little pumpkin. <laughs> so it was a successful pregnancy. Yes, it was. Oh, that's amazing. Um tell me about the actual pregnancy. Yeah. The pregnancy was not easy though. Yeah. Um it was in the beginning. Normal morning sickness and whatnot, but yeah. then I started having dizzy spells. I would black out, okay. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know they say when you, um, some doctors tell you that getting pregnant helps your endometriosis. You're not gonna get the pain. Right. <clears throat> that was I, not the case. I, I think I just everything that the doctor said was the opposite for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I I started having endometriosis flares. That's when when you get the, the extra pain when you're not on your period, but you just mm-hmm. get pain and the it feels like there's fire inside your pelvic area. Mm-hmm. How I describe it to people is that it feels like you take barbed wire and wrap it around your torso and wrap it around your pelvic area and then light that barbed wire on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is what the pain would feel like to me. Mm. And that started happening to me at five months. Right. right. Sorry, four months. From four months all the way up until probably, say, six, six or seven. Six or seven. Now, was there anything that you can do to ease that discomfort at all that you found out? Um, normally, it would be you take the pain painkillers, but because I'm pregnant, I can't take trauma sets. Right. All those ex, all those strong painkillers. I could have only take Panadol, and I didn't see the sense in taking the Panadol because that's like it was gonna help anyway. That's candy. Right. That's yeah. candy. So I um basically what I will do, I will you just have to try and sleep it off or do some stretches. My doctor told me to start with yoga, so that kind of eased eased the pain. Right. Um, that helped it a little meditating and relaxing and Mm. the actual stretching that would really, really help. Now now tell me, um, you're in Trinidad, so tell me a little bit about the struggle of getting pregnant, losing a baby in that culture, that Trinbegonian culture. How did it affect you? Did it have any impact on you in any way? Yes, I think the reason that I wanted, when I feel that I would have problems getting pregnant, I wanted to get pregnant so bad, is because of that culture where, okay, you're, it's basically like you feel less of a woman because you can't have a baby. 
Right. I even had someone tell me where I was helping out with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, because they didn't agree with something I said is it was um well you have no right to tell me anything because you can't even have children. So oh, that's you know, awful. Yeah, so stuff like that you have to be with honest. Mm-hmm. And the questions are constantly. So when you're going to get pregnant, when you're going to have a baby, everybody, every time you meet someone new or you come across someone that you knew from school or something, you don't have any children as yet. When are you going to have what you're waiting on? You're not getting younger, you know? So it's that kind of pressure to be yeah. like, okay, you're not completed as a woman unless you have a baby. So that was kind of in the back of my mind that you need push to try to get pregnant. I think that was part of it. Right. And then once you became pregnant, did they give you any additional advice? So in terms of like things to avoid, activities should and shouldn't do, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Don't um, don't eat don't eat the pineapples. And that is what I was craving so bad. Don't eat pineapples. Why you can't, you, why you can't eat pineapples? Pineapples cause miscarriages, apparently. I know, according to the, the old people, that's what they say. Pineapples. Pineapples cause miscarriages. Popo causes miscarriages. Popo. Popo pie. Yes. Don't eat the potato salad with the mayonnaise. That is oh, going to cause that's you to miscarry. Yeah. Okay. Salad. The mania is going to cause you to miscarry. So do not eat cream cheese. Don't mm. eat the cheesecake. All those things cause miscarriages, apparently. Right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Well, I know I've heard about the soft cheeses not being, um, I'm not in the, in the context of causing a miscarriage, but they say soft cheeses may have some kind of bacteria. Bacteria, right. That, right. Is, that is what I, I mean. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you extend that to the bacteria, then leading to a miscarriage, okay. But yeah, well, I guess everybody thought that I should have stopped working Mm -hmm. until I try. I actually tried to. (laughs) I tried to quit my job probably three times, and they would not allow. (laughs) They would not allow me to quit. Just, just, just relax. We're gonna Mm -hmm. put you in a different department, so it's gonna be a less stressful for you. Stuff like that. So, because I honestly was thinking, okay, everybody was saying you need to, you need to stay home and relax. Put your foot up. You don't want to have another miscarriage. You need to stay home. So I was that. That was actually stressing me out too because I like working. I want. I like my job. I want to go to work. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I, it was a lot of fear. Yes, and fair driving. It was, yes, basically it was just fair. Right. Fear how did you? Again. And how did you overcome that fear? Well, um, really support. Support mm-hmm. is a big, big thing. My family is very supportive, right? Oh, and my boyfriend as well. He was very supportive. If you want to leave, it's okay. If you want to stay working, it's okay. Just do not stress yourself. Don't mm-hmm. overthink it. You're taking yeah. this day by day. And also my doctor, he was very, very, very helpful. Any questions, he's very open, very oh, supportive. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he, he was he's excellent. He's excellent. Okay. Um, Dr. Brady, Dr. Brian Brady. So he's excellent. And yeah. he's also specialized in endometriosis. Fantastic. So, now tell me. 
about the actual labor and delivery. How was your experience? February 20th. Mm-hmm. I went into the doctor, to the doctor, my regular 30 week visit. And 30 it was weeks. 30 weeks, yes. Oh, okay. um, regular 30 week visit. And he was saying everything. He went through the visit fine. And at the end of the visit, he's like, okay, so I'm sending you to the hospital. Calm as ever. I am sending you to the hospital. And I was like, okay, fine, no problem. Still not thinking of that is an urgent situation. Well, I'll just, we'll just go get food first and then we go. He's like, no, no, go straight to the hospital. I'm calling her now. She's expecting you now. Well, now you will get food at the hospital. So then that's where the panic come in. And he explained to me that the amniotic fluid was very, very low. Low. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I started thinking back. He asked me if I had any gushing earlier or in the in the visit, and I didn't even think that something was wrong. So when I got to the hospital now, they did an ultrasound and the amniotic fluid was basically not there. Oh my gosh. But, but the membranes were intact. So yeah, they are trying to figure out why I have no amniotic fluid. And I couldn't think of any any reason that, you know, I had no gushing, no leaking or anything. So they're trying to figure out where the amniotic yeah. yeah. So I stayed in the hospital for hmm, two weeks at that time. Two they weeks? Just want, two weeks, yeah. They kept me in the hospital there for two weeks. Um, just to monitor, make sure, put me on antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to make sure I don't get any infections. And then I found out that I had gestational diabetes, right? Right. So... Then I had to take um, insulin shots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to monitor me, make sure that I, right. I was put on a strict diet. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, we still don't know where the amniotic fluid went. Right? Right. Yeah. Where did it go? They had several theories. They said the baby drinks the amniotic fluid, which is normal. That's a lot of fluid. Right. And normally they will pass it out as urine at a certain stage in the pregnancy. But so they started wondering if it was a kidney problem with the baby so I had um doctors from the neonatal ward come up and speak to me about the possibility of having to do surgery when baby was born if it is actually a kidney problem right they explained the chances of baby being deformed because there's no amniotic fluid to cushion Mm-hmm. So they said there are several problems that could happen. Could be deformed, problems with the skin, right. could have problems with the skin. Also, they explained that if well, I forgot to say that they had scheduled for me to a uh, scheduled delivery right. um, at thirty four weeks. Right, so okay. they were keeping me after until thirty four weeks. Right. Yes. But at this point so, in time, you have no no signs that you're going into labor at all. No, no signs of labor. So they gave me um, a steroid to speed up the baby's lung development. Right. Right. So everything will be fine in that area. So I stayed in the hospital for two weeks and I begged them to send me home. I begged to go home to have my baby shower. So I had to have a little quick baby shower for that weekend and then check back into the hospital the next day. Right. So when I went back to the hospital, it was the same thing as it was frustrating being there, 
no signs of being in labor and seeing everybody coming in, having their baby and Maybe. right? So when so, you had your actual scheduled delivery now? My delivery is mm-hmm. scheduled um, in, at 34 weeks. So at 34 weeks now, that Friday, the doctor from the neonatal, from the NICU, mm-hmm. she came up and she said, well, there isn't any incubators so they can't, they can't, <laughs> they cannot put me into labor without there being an incubator available for my baby because he's going to be premature. Correct. So they need to have an incubator there. So when there is an incubator available, then they will actually give me the medicine to put me into labor. The Tuesday, they give me the medicine to put me into. Right. So they tend to induce you. Right, to induce me, right? Mm-hmm. They induced one session, two session, and nothing. My cervix wasn't softening, nothing. Um, no cramps, nothing. Then they did it again the next day. Mm-hmm. And no progress. No progress wow. at all. So then they came in and they were like, okay, well, if you do not have any progress today, we're going to have to schedule a C-section fee. Right. And this is not my good plan. This is this was not the plan I had with my doctor. Yeah. And, well, he came in and he he, explained, he said, okay, well, I know this is not the plan that we had, but things change. And I think the best option is to have a C-section because we don't want you to go beyond 35 weeks. Mm-hmm. Because baby is getting bigger and gestational diabetes, right? Nice. Also, my platelet count was dropping every day. Okay. I still don't know why. My on the day that I had my baby, my platelet count was just too above dangerously low. Right. Right. So we had to source platelets for um transfusion. Mm-hmm. I had to get two transfusions and blood for the C-section. Okay. Um, the day before my C-section, we had um, <laughs> a problem. The head of the gynecology board, she came in and she examined me and she's like, why did they schedule the first C-section? I mean, you have once you're one centimeter dilated, which means that you're starting to make progress. You just need to wait probably next week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she's like, probably next week. So I was like, okay, well, the doctor said so. And she said, are they forcing me? I said, no, they're not forcing me to have a C-section. We discussed and this was the best option. This is what this is what my doctor said and it's fine. She's like, okay, well, I, I want to see your doctor and write this in the file. I need to see the doctor in, immediately in the morning. So in the morning when I wake up, there's all these doctors around me. The day I'm supposed to have my C-section, I was prepped and ready for C-section. Okay. And it's like, did you tell her something? Did you, did you? And I was like, I didn't tell her anything. And so they had their little meeting. And mm-hmm. then, she, then they came back and it's like, okay, what do you want to do? So I'm looking to my doctor for guidance. And right. So like, he kind of prompt me because mm-hmm. it's they, your are decision. The, they are under the impression that I am being forced to have a C-section. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, if the best option is a C-section, I don't want to be here any longer. And if this that the baby is getting bigger, I don't want it to be complications with my platelets and whatnot. So let's just do the C-section. 
Right. Fine. C-section schedule. Because I had um problems with my platelet, they I couldn't stay awake. They had right. to give me, they had to put me to sleep for the C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was asleep for that. Right. When they when they woke me up, I um apparently they were having problems getting me to wake up after from right. the anesthesia. And mm-hmm. then so the the anesthesiologist he explained to me we were having some problems waking you up. Then I had a panic attack. So Oh wow. So I had mm-hmm. a panic attack. They had to put me back to sleep. And mm. I when I next my woke up, I was on the ward. Mm-hmm. Um my parents, my mom was there. They were they were they were telling me, well, we had some, they had some problems, but they couldn't explain to me. And um, one of the nurses, she said, okay, you need to rest. You had a difficult time. Just mm-hmm. go back to sleep. And that was the night that the Portispain hospital was on fire. Oh. If anybody can remember that, that, that night the hospital was on fire for whatever reason. So they had to, they were, they had to move us out of the ward me in pain, they had to transfer onto a stretcher to try to get you out of the ward. And then they were saying that they wanted to move, they wanted to move the babies to um to Mount Hope. And I, I don't want my baby to go to Mount Hope. I don't of want to go to Mount Hope. I don't want my baby to go to Mount Hope. I don't want to go to Mount Hope. Please keep him there in the NICU. And they were like, well, if it is that the fire gets bigger and whatnot, we have no choice. But eventually they got that under control. So the next day, when I was fully awake and whatnot, they explained to me that um, when they cut me, as soon as they cut me, I started to bleed out. Profusely, yeah. Yeah. And that's because your platelet count was low. Yes. So Mm -hmm. they had to try to control the bleeding at first before they could proceed with getting the baby out. So they had problems getting that done. They had to rush to get the... Transfusion done. Um, I lost well, a little less than two liters of blood. Wow. So it's a miracle that you are alive as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. And he was in distress as well. Mm-hmm. He was not breathing when he was born. He was oh, not wow. breathing. So they had to work on resuscitating him and whatnot. Everything was fine with him after because he only spent one night in the NICU. Okay. And after then, that, he was doing fine. He was able to come up on the board and see me. He actually got discharged before I was. <laughs> he sounds like he's a warrior. He, he is a fighter. He is a fighter. He he's still a yeah. fighter. So, so and, and him, how is he now? Any any kind of effects from, you know, his trauma? Well, he, he, well they said, um, I need to monitor him, but he's, he's fine. Developing well, he's speaking, right. he's walking, everything is fine. Just um, they mentioned that premature babies have problems with their eyes, and I noticed a little problem with his eyes, so we're going to get that sorted out tomorrow. I intentionally try not to ask too many questions before I yes. interview my guests because. I genuinely want to be like my listener and hear for the first time yes. what the story is about and. I had no idea that you went right. through all of that and mm-hmm. survived and you are thriving and and it's yes. a, such yes. an inspiration. Um, yes. You know, so I, I'm hoping that anyone listening who may be, who may have had the diagnosis or have the diagnosis of endometriosis realizes that there is hope out there and it's possible, yes. 
you know, Definitely. to have a, a successful, healthy baby born. Yes. Despite the many, many challenges yes. that, you know, came into your life. Now, advice you would give someone who maybe just recently got diagnosed with endometriosis and they're worried and concerned about getting pregnant, being able to carry a baby to full term or just have a successful pregnancy. What advice would you give to an expectant mom? Definitely would be do not jump to conclusion. Don't automatically think it is not possible. Mm -hmm. Um, That only makes it worse. You're going to get yourself depressed Mm-hmm. get a second opinion and right. try to see uh, someone that is special, like a doctor that actually, not just a basic gynecologist, get someone that actually is experienced with dealing with patients with endometriosis, see someone like that, and then take, take your steps day by day. Mm-hmm. Don't just immediately think, I'm going to try and it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, don't think that's the end of it. It is right. possible, depending mm-hmm. on the treatment that you have, I believe I was able to get pregnant because I did the surgery to clear the adhesions and whatnot so that kind of opened up the tube, right? So get your treatments. If surgery is necessary, do your surgery, but make sure it is by a skilled professional, someone that is that can actually remove most or all of the tissue right. because it is just going to get worse if it is that you do the surgery and you don't remove the tissue mm-hmm. and then you have to deal with scarring and whatnot unnecessarily. So mm-hmm. make sure it's uh, someone that is specialized. Look at your diets. I mean, it's kind of cliche. You hear people saying, don't eat this, do this, but really, I changed my diet. Right. So what are some diet. of the things that you do now in terms of, of your diet? In terms of my diet, I, I will admit I am it it's not strict, mm-hmm. but it is close enough, right? Mm-hmm. I limit I limit dairy. They say no dairy, I limit it mm-hmm. because I love cheese and I love ice cream. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> so yes, so limit your dairy. I um red meat. I don't eat red meat, I don't eat pork. Um and these are just things that you have done for yourself. That's so they not apply to everybody. No, not, to every, not to everyone. Everyone right. will be different. Your dietary mm-hmm. needs will be different. And mm-hmm. I add more, more vegetables mm-hmm. and also um, anti-inflammatory foods. You know, like they say turmeric. Mm-hmm. And I like the ginger. Turmeric and ginger, right? Stuff like that. I drink turmeric and ginger. Um, I can't, you're not supposed to drink it every day. Right. Um, every day when I am on my period, I drink the turmeric and ginger. Right. And days that I feel like I have a flare, the turmeric really... It makes a difference. It makes a, it makes a difference. It's not, it's not going to eliminate the pain, but it helps with the bloating feeling, you know, stuff like that. Yes. So I, I looked, um and changing my diet the um more vegetables mm-hmm. um not really fruit because you know fruit is natural sugar sugar is sugar okay. mm-hmm. so i eat fruits but i not um not as much i eat more vegetables mm-hmm. I do now, more Tashi, vegetables. um and now that you are you're 
son is now what two years old he's, two, he's going to be two months right he's, he's two years right about to be two yeah when this is being recorded but um tell me do you feel fully recovered from the experience of giving birth now two, hmm. two years later um the experience itself mm, yes but physically to really say physically, I'm just getting myself, physically, I'm just getting myself back on track. You know, I right. just recently started back exercising. Mm-hmm. I got the okay to be able to do stuff that engage your core. So I just yeah. started back exercising. So I don't feel fully myself, but mm-hmm. I'm getting there, yeah. Because, right. you know, you have to, because it was a C-section, there's certain things that you can't that you can do mm-hmm. and also you can't um they told you don't exercise for about a year like phys- um extreme exercise for about a year and i used to run um mm-hmm. you're very cycle. active yeah mm-hmm. very active so i am now getting back into that mood a little bit but okay. not fully as yet all right well, um, Renee, like, thank you so much for this interview. It's been eye-opening. Yes, and um, just really enlightening. I like to wrap up by asking my guests to choose a song that's representative of their journey of pregnancy, birth, delivery, labor, the whole shebang. Like, what's a song that resonates with you? My song... I have two songs. I have okay. a song I used to sing to my son while he was in my belly. I used to sing um, Frank Sinatra. You're just too good to be true. Yes. I can't take my eyes off you. You know, that, that's his song. And also um, Designer's Original. If I, I do not know who sang that song. It's a song from way back when, when I was a little girl. Uh-huh. And somehow when I became pregnant... That song just came back to my head, and that Which song, song is that? Designer's Original. I okay, you have to sing it because I have no idea what song that is. <laughs> I am putting you on the spot. I might have to Google it or it's YouTube good. it. Yeah, I can't even find it on YouTube, right? Oh, really? You're a designer's original, one of a kind. Created by the master with one purpose in mind to be a showcase of his glory for the whole world to see a reflection of his beauty as it shines through you and me. So that song came back to me and that has been with me ever since. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's my song. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I just wish you continued success. And I just, you know, I'm just so inspired by you. And I hope that this inspires others, you know, to believe. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story. Anytime. Yes. Yes. So thank you. And um, all the best. God bless you. Same to you. Thank you.